to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. This is Thursday, May 12th. I'm Al Melchior, and yes, a different voice leading it off today. Uh, No DVR today. He will be back on Friday. But with me here is Nando DeFino. And uh, I believe Nando, I would say the return of Nando Thursdays, because I know once upon a time we had a a, a weekly show we did together. I think it was Thursday. Who knows? It sounds right. Yeah, I actually didn't question it when you're like, hey, Nando Thursdays back. I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it was Thursdays. I'm pretty sure it was thir- Wednesdays. Doesn't sound right. Yeah, I think it was Thursday. No, not until Thursday just rolls off the tongue. Hmm. So, I, of course. Yeah, it, exactly. If it wasn't a thing before, it's a thing right now. So, uh, we, here we are, Nando Thursday. Very excited, Nando. We're going to talk about um, just some things in the news. This is something we, you know, at least on the iterations of this podcast that I do, uh, maybe the ones that you do, um, don't always talk about the things that have just happened. Uh, so I think there's some interesting news items to talk about, but we're going to focus mostly on something I think is very timely. We are now a little more than a month into the season by the end of this weekend. I think pretty much almost every team is going to be roughly at about the 20% mark of the season. And so it, it's getting harder and harder to say, yeah, it's too early to drop so-and-so, even though they've really not done anything close to what we expected. And now we're a fifth of the way into the season. So I've got a long, long list of players to talk about. So uh, let, let's get to it, Nando. Uh, and uh, from the big news on Wednesday, Christian Yelich hitting his third cycle and his third cycle against the Cincinnati Reds, the first player in Major League history to cycle three times against a single team. Uh, and it just gives an excuse to, to talk about Christian Yelich. He is currently sixth in barrel rate among qualifiers. 10th in average exit velocity on flies and liners. Lots of power there that's not completely showing up in his stat line. So my question, Nando, is do you think that there is still room to buy low on Christian Yelich to trade for him and actually get more than you give away? I think so. I think what he's doing isn't getting a lot of buzz. Um, And actually, Al... I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in our old friend Craig in Chicago. All right. Um, who I, I mean I, I mean we're, we're DL pa- You talk about him on the show, right? Uh, occasionally, very occasionally, yeah. All right. Um, because I mean he's inter- he's got these interesting takes on things, and you know, I'd say like fifty fifty they actually come to fruition. Um, but he sent me a screenshot of him putting a bet yesterday before the game, uh, on Kristen Yelich to win MVP. Whoa. And, but I mean, like he's he's like really good with that kind of stuff. Like he can pick up on trends and like you know under the surface stuff. He's four thousand to one. He's so he's I'm sorry, he's plus four thousand. He's forty to one. Um, still, like I checked today, and he's still forty to one. So, um, you know, twenty bucks on that sends back you know eight thousand dollars. Well, I'm keeping no way. That's not right. Hold on, no, I'm sorry, eight hundred, eight hundred dollars. Um, but yeah, so like the, the whole point is like I. I you know, you would think after this little hot streak, and I know Manny Machado is the favorite, but he would have dropped to like thirty-five to one, maybe thirty to one. There would have been a little bit of movement there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I measure the buzz sometimes, and the buzz I don't think is there yet. So I do think, yeah, you can go get Christian Yelich. Probably, I mean, everyone's afraid of his injuries. I think everyone's afraid of his back. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I mean, he's done this before. Maybe he's you know was you know hiding some hurt, uh, some after effects of the injuries. I don't know. I I would buy into this though. Yes, I'm in. I, he's he's the perfect kind of guy I love to buy low on. Yeah, because everyone's forgotten about. You know. Well, and also, I mean, in a way, it's kind of a sneaky buy low because it's coming off of this, you know, very high profile game that he's just had. And so, I know my initial reaction was, well, this is probably a terrible time to 
talk to the Christian Yelich manager because, uh, you know, that it, this game might have boosted that person's confidence in Yelich. But yeah, I think there's, I think there may be even more beyond this. Um, so or, yeah, but or that, that manager could be like, now nah, I got to sell this guy before the bottom comes out. You know, because hitting for the cycle is almost like a no hitter. It's almost like fake in fantasy. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't. Right. You know, it's it's just like okay, no hitter. Like anyone could do that any given day, really. In a way, um, I think hitting for the cycle is the same kind. Like it wasn't a three homer game. You're like, yeah, he's flexing the power, man. It's the cycle, which is kind of like a weird anomaly, and I don't think it registers with fantasy players. Like, oh, you know, he he did a bunch of things. Yeah, points I leagues. Think, you know, but, yeah, right. Yeah, well, points leagues. You get the you actually get the cycle points if you still have your your CBS. Uh, defaults on, I believe. <laughs> I think I got you like five or eight points, maybe. Well, again, you get the point for the double and the triple, the extra points for that. So, right, but you get that CYC point. Yeah, that I I think is defaulted on. I think. Well, given that I do not have Yelich in, in in my CBS leagues, I do have him in TGFBI, which I'm very happy about. But nice. Uh, I do not get to see firsthand how he did in the CBS leagues, but yeah, I, I think there's there's room to uh, to still get some value a Christian Yelich trade. And, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, things that are, are real, very real and real baseball, but fake and fantasy. Uh, I know you talked about um, the, I believe you talked about the no hitter uh, on uh, under the radar. So of course I, I uh, sat Reed Detmers in both of my leagues. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> Do you have him anywhere? Yeah. Well actually in our Scott White dynasty league. Uh, oh, that's right. You just, just promoted like a, him. Yeah. I promoted him because I ha- I made a trade. This is crazy. Like I made a trade with uh, Brent Gamble, who's in a bunch of our dynasty leagues together in the score sheet one and everything. Um, I sent him Corey Kluber, and I got back uh, uh, the minor league shortstop for the Tigers, Christian uh, Santana, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point <laughs> the point is, so I got rid of Kluber, and I had that open spot, and I all my guys are injured off like off of that or in the minors, so I had to activate Detmers from my minor leagues. Where you, in this league, you can keep in the minors forever. Uh, you know, but now I had to activate him, so he, he costs a dollar instead of nothing. Um, and yeah, the, like that that night, Corey Kluber got destroyed, like three innings, eight runs, and, and Reed Devers threw a no hitter. <laughs> so I feel bad for whoever I'm playing because that was accidental, basically. Uh, that that is how it sometimes goes uh, in fantasy. So you, you you take it when you take it when you can get it. I take it. I, I could be one in five after this week, Al. Um. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. you know, there, there's time to come back. Well, you know, Ian taught me this, and it's brilliant. And I'd never thought of it before I did the show with, like, the, when he talked about it, like, I think, like, three years ago. When you know your team is crappy, you might as well start rebuilding early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got so many benefits. Like, you're the only team that's selling. Everybody's a buyer still, really. Even if you're, like, two and two, you still might think you got a shot, so you might want to buy. So it, it kind of opens up the people you can trade with. Um, so I'm like, all right, screw it. This is not going to be the year for Team Nando. For actually, my team is called Al Melchior's Salad Days. We did that to mess with uh, Scott White uh, that one year mm-hmm. when everyone named their teams Al Melchior or something. Um, <laughs> except, except for me. Except for you, yeah. <laughs> so I kept it. Uh, but like, yeah, selling early is like my new favorite thing in Dynasty Leagues where I know I'm going to suck because you really do get much better deals. Yeah, no, and we talked about this offline uh, pretty recently, and I agree, it's 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 a good move, and, and I think what I said to you too is that I'm just always really terrible at being realistic when my team isn't good. So yeah, and I pulled the shoot. I pulled the shoot too early, but I don't care. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it just to, to you know, I started to say before and to 
kind of wrap up this part of the conversation. I had a team, it was a, a redraft team last year. I started out and had to had one and nine and wound up being in it until the very last week before the, the playoffs. Cause I just ran the table from that nice. point. So you never know. You never know. Yeah. A little different in dynasty though. Uh, all right. So, uh, so Christian Yelich, obviously a big story. Ryan Pepio, uh, we've talked about him on some recent episodes, looking like he was going to get a shot to make his major league debut. He did that very thing on Wednesday in Pittsburgh, just three innings for Pepio, three strikeouts, but five walks uh, didn't somehow didn't give up a run. Uh, but I, I'm not sure what, what uh, the next uh, start is going to be for Pepio because uh, there was a piece that I read on MLB.com that I think it was before Pepio's debut that said that he could very well pitch again next Tuesday in a double header, they would still, the Dodgers would still need the extra pitcher. So I suppose Pepio still lines up for that start. Still a possibility. Um, is there any rationale for giving him a go next week? If he's still there. Well, I mean, if you need strikeouts, I think I'm going to say the, the, the five walks were a bit of an aberration. Um, he seems to have a decent whip. I don't, you know, I mean, three would be probably more in line with what he would do. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, the Dodgers have this weird thing where they come into these seasons stacked and then just like they have these weird cracks, that, like these fissures that just happen. And these these prospects who, you know, you might not have banked on coming up this year come up and then they stick. Um, and I obviously have no solid examples of that off the top of my head right now. But I just, like there's just like Max Muncy, right? Wasn't supposed to be a Dodger superstar, uh, you know, the, as early as he was. Um, and I, th- I think like this, I mean, this could just happen. He could just stick. I don't know, like... We talked about it at CBSL back when we worked there. It was these things just kind of work themselves out. Weird things happen. So, um, whatever somebody says that, I don't always say it out loud because it's, it's not always appropriate for the context. But I, I always at least think to myself, that's what Nando would say. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just. I mean, I guess it's a different way of saying bank on the talent. Yeah. And Pepio has talent. So I I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he could end up being a long reliever. He could end up being sent back down. You know, stay stretched out. But um, if you see someone this good with this good of a strikeout rate come up um, and they gave him a shot, I, I would hold on to him. I would grab him. Okay. Yeah. And well, and that's another question. Well, I'll, I'll keep that for tomorrow's waiver show. Uh, Cause I'm sure we'll you know be talking about whether or not it makes sense at this point to, to get Pepio if he's still out there and he is still out there in quite a few leagues. Uh, but let's, let's uh, have a little Yankee talk here. Glaber Torres, big game for him on Wednesday, a couple of base hits, including his fifth home run of the season. Looks like, like Glaber Torres is back. Uh, but there's a, there's a, but here, uh, so that the power is back, the numbers, uh, well, the power numbers look good, uh, not the batting average. And that might not be coincidental because he has taken more of a fly ball approach. Torres is also taking a much more aggressive approach than he's ever had. He's swinging at a higher rate than he ever has. And on the one hand, that means more swings in the zone, but he's also swinging at pitches out of the zone at a career high, high rate so far. So, this whole package for Torres, Nando, if, if this is what we see the remaining 80% of the season, uh, is this somebody that you would just, you know, set and forget in your lineup or uh, are, are you concerned? Uh, no, I like Labor Torres. I, I like him coming in. I think, you know, he's one of those guys you're like, man, how's he only, he's still only 25. Um, and something just clicked when you were talking that I want to, I'm scrolling right now on baseball reference. I want to see his numbers at a second baseman versus a shortstop. Uh, maybe he's a little more. Co- nope. Exactly. Oh my God. They're like exactly the same. Sorry. Throw that theory out the window. Live uh, theory debunking. <laughs> debunking here. In real time. Yeah. In real time. 
Uh, you know, let's just stick with the age thing and his development and, you know, him probably recognizing, you know, like Yuan Mankata before his breakout year, everyone's like, oh, you know, he set the record for strikeouts. He sucks. He's a strikeout guy. And it's like, no, you know what he did? He all off season, he went and worked, stayed in Chicago and worked with the coaches and said, I don't want to strike out so much. And he didn't. I mean, like these guys aren't just these static players with their numbers assigned to them and they stick with them forever. Like think about if you're a normal human being. I strike out a lot, and my job might be a little bit in jeopardy. Um, you know, maybe maybe I should fix my strikeouts. You know what I mean? So I'm sure Glaber Torres, you know, addressed the weaknesses in his game and is trying to fix them. And it looks like, according to these numbers, like that's what he's doing. You know, he just has to stick with it, and I think he will. But, it's working. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always so hard to know because, and then the fact that we're talking about this in the middle of May makes it more difficult because you, you can wonder, okay, is this a conscious change in his profile? Or is it still just that he's not really been to the plate enough times for for things to really wash out? And, and is there going to be a regression? And again, you know, kind of what I started off saying at the beginning of the show, when you have this conversation in the middle of April or even later in April, you know, you know from experience that eventually as <laughs> another version of what you said, Nanda, these things kind of work themselves out. They kind of, you know, things kind of go back to their, their previous state. But as we're, you know, dipping towards, you know, getting closer to the, the second quarter of the season, um, it, it's harder to tell. It's hard to tell if this is a, a conscious decision, if this is noise. And, and if it is conscious decision, is there something else that's going to come along that that's going to cause Glaber Torres or, or anybody else for that matter to make more adjustments? So, well, I, w- yeah. I wonder if it's one of those things where like, you know, sometimes you hear the players say my confidence was shot. You know, I, mean? I didn't believe in my swing anymore. And now it's just him saying like, wait, no, I'm actually very talented and that's why he's swinging and chasing more is because he knows he can hit those balls yeah. because he's good, you know, and his confidence is back. And, you know, I just got to believe in myself. Like, I wonder if that interview is like on the horizon over the next couple of weeks when someone says, you know, why are you swing out of the zone more? Why are you chasing? And he's like, well, you know, I was I was a little tentative because, you know, I was slumping and, you know, then I worked with this coach and now I feel better. And I'm like, yeah, I can swing at these things and hit them. So that could be it. That could be the key. Yeah, not the second, not the second base split tomfoolery. <laughs> All right, well, we we will get answers. At least we will try. Uh, but sticking with the Yankees here, I in my uh, you know daily or, or, or periodic uh, perusing of, of leaderboards uh, in the geeky way that I do it, uh, found something that that really took me by surprise. So I was looking at average exit velocity on flies and liners. That's a leaderboard I look at. A lot, and, and I do it for the purpose, Nando, of looking for hidden power sources. Because if I look at that, like maybe you know once a week, there's usually a name that pops up near the top that I'm like, "Whoa, where did that come from?" Uh, and is there a, a buy low opportunity here? I don't know that that's the case with the player that caused me to have that reaction this time. But DJ Lemayhew is currently 18th among qualifiers for highest average exit velocity on flies and liners. That's 96.5 miles an hour. Uh, he That would be a career high for him. His previous career high was 2019, which I feel like you almost could throw out because, because of the ball that year. And his second highest after that was uh, around two miles an hour lower than what he's doing right now. And it's definitely not showing up in his stats uh, in terms of he's, he's sitting for average, but not for power. So... What you know? What's your thinking here on Lemayhew in terms of rest of season? I mean, I think he can like. Remember when he came? I think actually we were working together when he came up, and it was like DJ Lemayhew's this guy who does not hit for power, um, but he's like a giant. Remember, like he's just like a huge dude who you think in Colorado would be 
banging home runs left and right. And he finally came into that uh, with the Yankees. So I believe the power is there. I think, you know, sometimes just early, you know, like I keep going back to, I forget who it was. It was our Cardinals writer at the time here at The Athletic. And we do these roundtables with him. Mm -hmm. And it was about Matt Carpenter. And he's like, you know, Matt Carpenter refuses to wear gloves. Um, So you're going to see him really, like when the weather gets warmer is when he starts to get better because it's so cold when you make contact in those early months. Um, And it's just one of those details. Like, I'm sure there's a DJ LeMayhew detail somewhere about why this is happening because it's such a weird aberration. Yeah. Um, So my guess is I'm going to follow this data and say that it's going to start taking off. Assuming he gets regular playing time. You know, maybe some guy's just thrown by, you know, not having that regular role. Like, he wasn't, he didn't come into this year guaranteed he was going to have that regular role, despite all the success he's had in the past. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens when you've got him and you got a Glaber Torres and, uh, You've got uh, you know Isaiah kind of Falafa in in the mix now, who who has been playing very regularly, and yeah, you know, there's there's been playing time for you know pretty much every everybody up to this point. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I just I don't know I found that absolutely fascinating. Uh, well, going from a couple of players that we've been watching and and following and drafting and rostering for quite a while to a player that um, was involved in a big trade this offseason, and yet when he got called up, I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Zach Logue, a uh, 26-year-old pitcher uh, now with Oakland, who had been with the Blue Jays, came over uh, with Kevin Smith and a couple other players in in that Chapman trade, uh, and a, a big start against the Tigers. Now, you know, obviously that the caveat here is it was against the Tigers, uh, but seven scoreless innings, uh, six six Ks, no walks, so a fantastic line for Zach Logue. Pretty good numbers just overall in his three appearances with uh, with the A's so far. Um, and I wonder, is this somebody who was on your radar, Nando? Because he does fit that that Nando guy profile of being a little bit old for the level, but but putting up great numbers last year in the Toronto system. Uh, 35.9% strikeout rate at AA New Hampshire. That rate did come down a lot with the promotion to Buffalo, 25.2%. But still, you know, he had a nice year in the minors. And maybe a two-start week. In fact, right now it looks like a two-start week next week uh, at home against the Twins and on the road against the Angels. He uh, he was not. Um, actually, there's a dude named Jared Koenig in, in the A system who came from independent ball, um, who I've got my eye on. And he's, I mean, he's, by all accounts, pretty awesome. Um, so I was kind of, I'm not saying I'm rooting against this guy, but, you know, <laughs> Logue, when I looked him up, did not seem to have the strikeout. He's got like one season of good strikeout numbers and a few of not. I Like, when I look at those minor league numbers, I just like to be, you know, if you're going to pitch 96 innings, I'd like 120 strikeouts, please. And like a whip below one. Well, he's got the whip, but his strikeouts are kind of all over the place. And even here, seven innings, six strikeouts, you know, I would like seven innings, nine strikeouts. To you know, you really got to get that strikeout rate to be a Nando guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I don't know, man. Like, like I just said earlier, you can you learn things. Maybe he, uh, you know, the more recent data says that he is a strikeout guy. So I could learn to love him. I don't think it'll be too late if I wait a couple weeks to see what happens, um, because I don't think he's on any radars right now. But well, he did get picked up in the Scott White Dynasty League. Uh, I checked too late on that because when he had the first start that was not this good but was still pretty good i'm just like ah zach logue i didn't even i'd never even heard of him before i'm not gonna right. put in a, a claim and yeah it's a little too late there cousin cousin of denal logue really character actor well i don't think he's a character i think he's an actual actor actor so yeah sorry that was a random one that, well that that's we like the randomness 
<laughs> Look him up. I bet you've seen him somewhere. But I, he was in this movie called The Tao of Steve that, you know, I think I was like a teenager when it came out. And everyone's like, you got to see it. It's awesome. Cool. Okay. Um, well, something. Yeah. And something. then he was, he, was in a, he was in a sitcom where he was a frustrated dad. So Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the end. <laughs> well, that, that uh, alone might be reason to, to try to pick him up. Well, how about players that maybe we don't want on our rosters anymore? A lot of players with uh, both off more more with hitters than pitchers, but got a few pitchers on this list. But uh, just players who have really been disappointing, and I, I guess it's not a surprise that there's more hitters on the list because offense has been down. So you have to kind of learn to calibrate and you know say, okay, well, so and so's only got two home runs and they're only hitting two twenty. You know, is that does that make them droppable this late into the season? I think it's a little bit of a different calculation than in a, a normal year offensively, but uh, let's just get to it. I'm going to start with the player that I, I can't really get on board with dropping him, but he's he's really done very little so far, and that's Trevor Story. And uh, having recently moved to Western Massachusetts, I'm now watching a lot more Red Sox games than I used to because uh, yeah. they're always on. And um, he's just, he's, I just feel like, uh, the, the the park change for him really is it's really a big factor. I mean, he's just he hit a lot of deep outs or balls off the off the monster. And um I just don't know if we're ever gonna see the version of Trevor's story that that we're used to. Al, what about our guy? Um oh, why am I forgetting his name? In Colorado. The ADI VMI. Oh, oh, uh, uh Cliff Neely. Yeah, I wonder if I mean that might be a great deep dive there is like, is the is the VMI or is the ADA, is that really messing with Trevor's story? Because remember, like Boston was also a weird one, yeah. wasn't it? Like in terms of sea level, uh, it's density? it's it's the opposite. You're right. I mean, he's gone from the park with the lowest air density to one that's, if not the highest. I mean, I think probably the highest is, if memory serves, maybe Oakland or San Francisco, but Boston's right up there. Yeah. So I mean, I look. You and I, I think, like love. Well, I I do the Clifton Neely stuff. I thought it was amazing. VMIBaseball.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe that's worth checking out. And it's just with that stuff, it's an adjustment. Like his theory is like, if you were there for three days and then another team comes in, they're going to be a little messed up seeing curveballs if they came from a big enough difference in the air density. Yeah. Um, you know, but the the key was you've adjusted. You know, if you've been there, for, if you're on day four of a homestand, you've adjusted to how these things move. Um, the other players haven't yet. So maybe it's just a little extended if you're there all the time. You know, maybe Trevor's story is still figuring it out. Entirely possible. Like I said, I can't get on on board with dropping him even in the the shallowest of leagues, like ten yeah. ten teamer. Yeah, I, I could definitely see the temptation. You know, in a, a ten team league, there's a lot of churning. But I mean, this is somebody who we've you know grown accustomed to putting in the top tier at a deep position for the last few years. But uh, that's not going to grab right. Like who's like who's going to be so enticing? Like oh, I got to get rid of him. It's a good because, point. you know, yeah. blank is killing it right now. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a name offhand, but I just I could, I. I could see the temptation just because the production has just been so little that you just yeah. get you just get a guy who at least gives you more. But yeah, I think long term, I think it's a bad move. Well, let's let's um, maybe go just slightly a little down the, the scale in terms of more a more plausible player. You could drop in a, in a really shallow league, and that's Marcus Simeon. Kind of same deal. The player's been very good at a very deep position for a few years, although not as consistently as Story has been. And I think pretty much everybody was expecting regression from Simeon. 
uh, moving from Toronto to Texas, plus just, you know, if you look at the peripheral stats from last year, it looked like maybe he overperformed a little bit. But I don't think anybody saw what what uh, saw coming, what, what he's done so far. Yeah, I, I mean, it could be the new team, just like new coaching staff, new approach, you know, maybe the different style of coaching that's messing him up. But he's been around long enough where that shouldn't really be an excuse. Maybe he's masking an injury, Al. Uh, you know, it, entirely possible. Right, because like this, I mean, this is like a weird drop-off. Like, coming off a career, career, career. Like, you know, this is like Adrian Beltre. Remember Adrian Beltre got that big contract off his career year yeah. and then just like plopped for like four seasons and then came roaring back? Um, I don't know, but that was just like, it's not like there were a billion Adrian Beltres out there who signed these big deals and then just completely dropped off. So um, my guess is this is just, Still kind of early season swooning. That's what I'll chalk it up to. I don't think, you know, I don't think like he's like, I got my money. I don't care now. Um, but I, and the only, yeah. other, the only other thing I can think of is injury. Yeah. And, you know, and I hate to go there. And I actually would tend not to go there with Simeon just because uh, a lot of the things that we're used to seeing from him are are still in place. In fact, he's right in the, the neighborhood he's been in every year in terms of, of max exit below. Um, so that, that, what that says to me is that potential for power is still there. Um, he showed it at least once <laughs> this year. Right. The problem is he's got three barrels. He has three barrels so far this year. He had 50 last year. And again, you know, do the math. I mean, we're approximately a fifth of, of the way through the season. So, you know, he's not even 10% of the way to last year's total barrels. So, and you could even yeah. argue out like, I mean, and this, I mean, because the barrels number is different, but it, the Blue Jays were playing their games in Dunedin last yes. year for a while, which is not, you know, a very homer-friendly park, um, as as far as we know. But yeah, I, like, but that that doesn't have anything to do with barrels. I mean, you're not hitting balls harder because you were in Dunedin, Florida, right? Just um, the result of the barrel might be right, more exactly favorable. Yeah, no, I think it's too early to with with Simi, but it is it is just hard to hard to fathom exactly what's going on there but yeah the strikeout rate is pretty much where it normally is the fly ball rates is normally where it is the max exit velo looks normal so you know it may this this is a thing that to me just looks like a a, a smallish sample where things could even out over the next month or so i would hate to you know be the the manager who makes the move to to drop uh Simeon at this stage well, I think it gets yeah. it gets more interesting now with some of these other players. Uh, Whit Merrifield, kind of in the same category, right? You know, early roundish, but just you know, fantasy wise, really not giving you anything. And I, I think at this point, Merrifield's skill set always looked a little more precarious for fantasy purposes. Like you could see the power evaporating if the steals aren't there. You could see the the overall value kind of evaporating. Yeah, but the bat, I mean, the batting average is something you bank on. Yeah. At this point, you're like, Whit Merrifield's at least a 275 batter, which, you know, in an age when the average is like 242 or whatever across major leagues, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a significant, that's a number, especially from a dude who, what, three years in a row has led the majors in at-bats. So you're like, all right, this guy's going to hit 275 at least for me, at the very least, with a bunch of steals um, in a ton of at-bats. So it's going to have a significant impact on my overall you know, if you're playing Roto, obviously that, you know, those 650 at bats of a 277 hitter is going to balance out a lot of the bad that you've kind of taken on to get the power or whatever. Um, that's the part that's most disappointing to me is, is that he's hitting 161. Like, I, okay, power, fine. I can get that from somewhere else. 
speed I can cobble together. You know, maybe I was kind of sort of defending on your 40. Um, maybe you could still get to 30 at this point. Sure. But the batting average is just killing me. Killing. Yeah, he does have four steals, only four attempts. So, I mean, that's the part that's just a little weird is that, again, about a fifth of the way into the season, just four attempts so far. But yeah, that's, you know, we've seen that with lots of uh, base stealers where the, those stolen bases and the stolen bases attempts can be very, very kind of chunky. Um, and the batting average, yeah, I mean, he's not striking out a lot. In fact, he's striking out, a, striking out a slightly lower rate this year than he did last year. It is all happening on balls and play. Merrifield's historically a really good line drive hitter. He's got an 18% line drive rate, which is really out of character for him. So it does look like the kind of thing that that could correct itself. But he's also got, like by a big margin, the highest fly ball rate of his career. And this is a profile I used to associate with Jorge Polanco, where it's like early in his career, he just didn't have that much power. It's like, why are you hitting all these fly balls? <laughs> but right. um, obviously it's worked out for Jorge Polanco more recently. But um, again, Probably just a short-term uh, change in his profile. So I think we're so we're three for three here, and not feeling good about dropping dropping players. Uh, so let's continue on down here. Trent Grisham. Yeah, I drop him. There you go. Fifteen team. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, look, it's not like Trent Grisham was hitting thirty-five. It's not. He's not Hunter Renfro. You know, he he was a fifteen-fifteen guy with a bad average. That I mean, that's that's how I viewed him coming into the season. Um, and I don't think his name recognition is one where, like, if you see who got dropped overnight at 3 a.m. when you wake up, you're like, oh, man, I got to go get Trent Grisham. Um, yeah, uh, maybe that's too bold, but, and again, depends on who's at. Like, if he's in my, you, say he's the end of my bench and someone drops Hasong Kim, I would grab Hasong Kim and drop Trent Grisham. That point that you made a moment ago about looking at the roster rate is really critically important. And it's something that I really rely on a lot right now is because I still feel like it's, you know, it's sort of early for a lot of these players. I think, okay, well, who's got the lowest roster rate of the two or three players I'm thinking of dropping because I don't really want to drop this player, but I don't really want to drop the other players and I got to drop somebody. And this one can probably slide through for a week if I have to. Yes. So that's it. Yeah. How about Justin Turner? 15 teams, I think, is obviously not something you would do yet. But what about 12 teams? Yeah, I think I would. I mean, he's he's 38, 37. It's, I think it's inevitable for some people. Um, I just, and plus, I've never been a huge Justin Turner guy. He didn't really do a ton for me. Um, and I know that's misguided. There's just like a, a block in my head with Justin Turner where I'm like, eh, no thanks. Um, but I do know he's he's got high 20 home run potential. I just, if he's not showing, if he's not showing it for me right now, I, I can find another third baseman. Yeah. There are a lot. I mean, if it were most other positions, I think it'd be an easier choice, but you know, third base is definitely not this year. Uh, one of the deeper, but yeah, you know, certainly you look at the, like you said, you look at the age and, and you can certainly talk yourself into thinking that this is the the beginning of a, of a, of a decline for him, a really notable decline. Al, I'm going to look up. Uh, I, I'm in a I'm in a 12 team CBS league with like you know the regular default point stuff. I just want to see just out of curiosity who the third baseman available in this normal Joe's like this is just my friends from college. Um, you want to go by projections or stats? Uh, I mean, Yohan Mankata's out there in this league at least. If we're yeah, looking the, at projections, I would I would go with yeah, I'd go with projections. 
Santiago Espinal. Uh, this is for the week. Let me see if I can get a time frame. Yeah, because I definitely would not be making that that swap. I would, if that was my best option, I think I'd be be sticking with Justin Turner. Wow, CB, all right, so CBS has Brendan Donovan as the best third baseman of these free agents going forward. Well, um, given that he may not have a job for long. Um. Yeah, that's an odd. <laughs> hey, but hey, we don't want to knock it. We like yeah. Sportsline. They're our friends there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Here, so here are the free agents uh, you know, of note. Yoan Mankata, Kebrian Hayes. Um, Evan Longoria is out there. Mike Moustakis is out there. Jaimer Condelario is out there. Um, you know, you go down a little more. Hunter Dozier, Patrick Wisdom, Abraham Toro Hernandez. You know, there there are a couple of players at least on that list I really like. Longoria is somebody I've been stashing in a couple of leagues, and he just got activated. Um, but do you like him more than Justin? But Turner? I don't actually, and I like right. Evan Longoria a lot. Um, I, I think maybe if you if I didn't perceive him as uh, so much of an injury risk. Maybe that would give me more confidence, but I just feel like, especially because of the the, the Dodger context, that if, even if Turner has for him a subpar year, but he he does a little better going forward, he at least ought to produce a ton of runs. Yeah. And what if I dump him and I pick up Evan Longoria and he gets hurt again, or he's just not as good as I'm expecting to, expecting him to be? So well, you could take Patrick Wisdom. Oh boy, and then you're you know you're going to get power, but what about Candelario? Nah, I, I'm actually on the verge of of dropping him in a 15 teamer. Oh wow! All right, Al. <laughs> so where's he on the list? He's not. He did not make the cut. In fact, I got He's forty. I'm forty nine percent rostered in CBS league still. Uh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. So that means he's sticking around in like 14, 15 teamers, but he's not a. He would not be your your Justin Turner replacement in a twelve team league by any means. No matter, unless you really believe in him. Unless you really believe in him. And I guess I'm, I am not that much of a believer. All right. Well, let's uh, I move. I still like him. All right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. Fran Mel Reyes. This is a tough one, but he's, he's striking out somewhere around 40% of the time. I'm fine dropping him. I, uh, he's got holes in his fantasy game for me. So, and I do, I feel like he's not on the super solidest of ground. Um, you know, he, I mean, the, the Guardians have some younger guys they can just throw into the outfield and replace him or move into the DH and kind of replace him and trade him away. You know, he's, I know he's only 26. Maybe he feels a little older, but um, I don't know, man. He just feels like he's, he's kind of always in a weirdly tenuous spot. I like him, but you know, what if he gets traded away in platoon somewhere? I don't know. Yeah. By the way, I was really kind of, that's a bad platoon. He wouldn't platoon. I don't think he'd platoon. He'd be on the short side of the, right. But you know, but, but time, maybe a timeshare. A rotation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, his average hasn't always been there. I know the power is he doesn't steal. Um, I don't know. Like weirdly, he doesn't hit a lot of doubles, which is something I like to look at when you're looking at younger guys developing their power. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's just where I'm at with him. I, when you said he was 26, I I double I double checked, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I doubted you, but. I, no, I, I, I doubted myself. I only saw it because I, <laughs> I, I quietly Googled him to see what his age was <laughs> in the middle of a point. <laughs> but yeah, so he must have been what, like 21, 22 when he came up with the Padres, I guess. Um, but he yes. was 22. He, well, he was in his 22-year-old season. Okay. Uh, somebody who is younger, Spencer Torkelson. Uh, I mean, really, I think it may be in danger of uh, losing his real-world roster spot. I'm sure he'll be back if that happens. But um, 
uh, tough, definitely a tough call in 12 teamers. I think there, there, there's no way to justify not stashing him in 15 teamers if you can, but what, what say you? Al, I got him in our score sheet dynasty league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got some like pretty good offers for him preseason, you know, like two months ago, like really solid stuff that I turned down because I just like, I thought he had the power. I thought he was going to come right in. He seems so refined based on his numbers last year and like ready. Um, I, st- I still think he is. I think he's going to turn around, but I don't know if he needs like a month in the minors to really just click and then bring him up. It's just, I mean, now I don't even know we could get, like, we're talking about dropping him. And I, mean, I know this is a dynasty league. It's 24 team dynasty league. But I think if I put him on the block now, I would not get, I would get the people who are fishing for like, you know, maybe I'll, I'm frustrated with him and I'll let him go. Yeah. As opposed to like the blockbuster offers that people were offering me in the preseason for him. And I hope they're laughing at me. <laughs> I was obviously very nice and cordial about it as I always am, but I was like, you know, no, nah, that's not enough for Torkelson for me. Very good offer though. Well, so, yeah, you know, I'm not dropping him. I'm so afraid. I'm not. I'm not going to drop him. I'm afraid he's going to go on like a seven home run and five game binge, and then over, oh, there's a Spencer Torkelson we're looking for. Well, right, and that's the thing is you've got these amazing offers before, and you you hold now. It's obviously bad timing to to trade Torkelson right now, uh, or maybe to drop him. You hold on and. Uh, maybe those offers come again later on when he goes on that binge that you know is coming. Yeah, it has to be. I don't know if it's going to be now or if it's going to be in July or August, but it's, I mean, he's too good. How about Alex Verdugo? Not much production there for the Red Sox. I mean, it's just, you know, team obviously that's struggling overall. Uh, so maybe the context isn't great, but he himself has not uh, not been the same player he was a year ago. Yeah, that one's weird to me too because he's like one of the like I loved his minor league track record. I like everything. I, I actually aggressively went after him in an AL only keeper league that I'm in uh, toward the end of last year. I had Springer at 29 and Verdugo was at 19, and I kind of viewed it almost as like, oh, you know, almost the same player for less money, um, which was dumb in <laughs> retrospect. And then I kept him over a nine dollar Andrew Benintendi this year uh, when I probably could have gotten him back in the auction for you know he'd have been like 23. So this one kind of hits close to home, Al, and I don't know what to do, and I think just my heart is getting in the way of my head, and I'm going to hold on to him. But if you look at his minor league numbers, you're like, come on, man. Like, where are these skills that you showed in the minors? Um, They were developing slowly, and I guess maybe I read too much into the power. You know, he he didn't have that 20-homer season, but he had, you know, double digits, and then he had some nice steals there, and he had good batting average, and it's just uh, disappointing, I believe is the word. Well, if there's one thing that you, you can kind of keep you uh, keep you keeping the faith with Verdugo, it's that he is striking out at a lower rate than he has in any previous season, uh, just 11.4 percent rate. Uh, but, but does that mean he's he's sacrificing his power to hit some like you know doubles against the wall or something? I think a little bit. Like, yeah, let me see. So, well, only four. I kind of du- want the strikeouts for the power. Yeah. Well, there's only four doubles, uh, which is you know for somebody who plays half of his games at Fenway is just downright bizarre. Um, so, I mean, for him, it is just mostly, mostly batting average, a little bit of a loss of power for Verdugo, but, um, kind of like, uh, we were talking about with, uh, I think it was, yeah, Glaber Torres, we were talking about uh, the high swing rate, uh, a monstrous increase in swing rate for Alex Verdugo. Um, he was also garbage in spring training though, too. So, I mean, like maybe there's just something off this year. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I make a kind of a generalization. This might be a, a topic for a future fantasy fact check column. 
that when I see a player do what Verdugo's doing and that they become really aggressive, that a lot of times they just become slap hitters. Now, that's not at all what's happened with Labor Torres, so so much for that theory. But Verdugo is fitting that profile. For what it's yeah, worth. It's sad. Yeah, that's, I mean, doesn't help me right now in the Ed Hearn League, but uh, <laughs> what do you do? Well, I can't trade him. I'm, I'm not, you know, there are two guys who are really into the Red Sox um, in that league, and maybe they'll just want to take a gamble on him, but I don't even know. I'm not going to look now. I've done enough live looking in and messing up <laughs> on the fact check part of things, but maybe that's the move. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. That Red Sox team as a whole is weird to me. Very weird. Yeah, very I, weird. Maybe and it's Alex Cora. He's like a good manager. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's because I moved to Massachusetts. That's it. Ca- now you ruined the Red Sox. Cause and effect. Yeah, that is the butterfly effect. <laughs> Al flaps his wings and the Red Sox suck. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have some new uh, a, a new clip for the intro there. <laughs> That's how it works. Alex Verdugo's balls are uh, are shortened by Al Al's breathing. Just adds just that much more to the wind that goes right into Boston. On that note, let's uh, talk about some pitchers that are giving us some some uh, cause for for thought here. Steven Matz, I this is just a really really weird pitcher in terms of profile so far this year. Um, he's got an ERA over seven. And uh, striking out uh, more than 10 per 10 per nine. Uh, everything looks like pretty decent for Matt's except for uh, the ERA and whip. Uh, it's just a, he's just giving up a lot of line drives, which is translating into a lot of hits on balls and play. And when I say he's giving up a lot of line drives like that, that's, that's the understatement of the century. He has a 35% line drive rate uh, against him. I mean, I just figure that's, that's something that is going to correct He's got, while his ERA is above seven, his Sierra is 330. Like the ERA estimators recognize that there's a lot of good stuff here. XFIP is below three, actually. Interesting. But what do you, what do you trust? Do you trust the, you know, the geeky peripherals and the ERA estimators? Or do you just see a guy with a seven plus ERA and say, I've, I've had enough. I'm, I'm letting go. I trust the geeky peripherals. Um, but I also think you can drop Steven Matz and not worry again about someone picking him up. I think someone's going to look at that and be like, no, thank you. I mean, I obviously depends on the league you're in and like how hardcore your competitors are, but I don't think someone's going to be running to the waiver wire, you know, the next day when they see Steven Matz has been dropped. I think you've got some time to, you know, watch his next two games and maybe he gets his ERA down to 5.89 and then you pounce because it's still, you know, he's got not the greatest track record. Um, and that 5.89 or whatever number it turns into, it's still not going to look great if you're not paying it. I mean, maybe someone sorts by last 14 mm-hmm. and they catch it, but um, I still don't think so. I still think he's you can safely house him on the waiver wire, almost like as an extended bench. Yeah. Well, again, that you know that point is well taken, and I think yeah, if I were facing a roster crunch, I think that could be a deciding factor for me. Certainly, would be easier to drop Stephen Matz than say Jose Barrios, who oh yeah. You know, on the whole, it doesn't look like it's a terrible season for him, but the strikeouts are down. He's really only had two good starts, and they're both against the Red Sox. Man, that's maybe just a home sweet home, you know? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, not really home sweet home, yeah, I guess. I wasn't sure yeah, where you are going to go with that. <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking he was on the Blue Jays. I, my head's backwards. 
I messed up on where Boreos pitches now and where he came up. I was thinking, oh, AL East, he's back in the AL East. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, sorry, Al. Yeah, no, that's all right. But uh... yeah, never mind. What I meant was, yeah, that's uh, that's well, I guess the Red Sox suck. I guess we were right. It's all thanks to you. So, all right. So if he wins, he, he stream stream him when you can uh, pitch him against the Red Sox and. I still love him. I still think he's awesome. I would I would start him every week, or else you're going to miss some of those really good Barrio starts. Unless he's hurt. I, I, but that's the great unknown. Like, how you know if he's been, oh, Jose Barrios has shoulder discomfort. You know, I, I started feeling it in the middle of April, you know? Well, let, let's go to the process here, because we don't know that, obviously. We can only, you know, speculate. We're speculating on, you know, really with, with zero health information and just the information on that. He's, but we've been doing this so long. Like when something looks wrong like this, he's either tipping his pitches or he's hurt. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, those are two explanations. I can't really think of too many others or just, you know, something mechanical that that has gone awry. I mean, it's hard to say. But, you know, this is a case where it's not like, oh, you could definitely see a correction coming because it's balls in play, it's strand rate, whatever. It's some weirdness like that. I mean, he's just, he's not getting the swings and misses. Uh, and and the contact against him, there's more contact in the zone, which is always a more dangerous thing. And the contact against him is harder. He's got a barrel rate right now over 13%. That is not good. That is not. Hold on. I'm looking up his updates right now on Roto World. I'm still calling it Roto World. Sorry, NBC Sports Edge. But I'm just checking to see if there's like like a quiet, no, not really, like forearm anything. Is there anything like that? You know, he... He has a start pushed back. Struggling with his release point in spring training. Um, he did not have a good spring training. Well, and another thing too that I'll be honest, it just kind of slid by me because I thought you know last year. In fact, I talked about how at some point maybe on on this podcast how Barrios pitched really well when he came came to Toronto, and you know, but he put up good surface stats both with the twins and the blue Jays last season, but you did see some decline in the swing and miss and some growing of, of the barrel rate. And those trends have just continued on through the first 20% of this year. What is this? So I found an update about he landed on the IL in mid April due to forearm blankety blank. Oh, that was okay. That's a Hyunjin Ryu spilling into the Jose Burrios Google <laughs> results. Well, I thought so, I missed something. So anyway, sorry. I think we get we just have to operate in the you know in the the black box here you know which we do you know with most players in the situation where we you know we can only guess what's going on and I mean is Barrios for you kind of on or close enough to that line where you say I can only give so much benefit of the doubt here look for okay for contrast like Robbie Ray Robbie Ray's had kind of a rough start to the year sure but I mean you you just don't give up on on Robbie Ray, you know, after five or six weeks. <laughs> so um, is Brios close enough to that line where he deserves the same benefit of the doubt, even though there are peripherals that are, that are concerning. Not for me, for me. And I, I guess I just play a different way is that Brios to me is just someone who's just, unless you are stacked and you have options and you're just, you know, you're working like a, you know, say you got five starting pitchers and you got three starting pitchers on your bench and your your move is just bringing in these guys who have two starts. Um, and, you know, they're good ones. It's not just random two-start people. Like, it's not people you stream. It's it's your bench. Uh, then, yeah, sure. But for me, Barrios is a guy 
you just keep in there. And you, you get walloped, you get walloped. You know, I mean, you've got enough good pitchers probably on that staff to absorb a lot of it. It sucks. But I do think, like, when he starts to turn around, you're going to want him in there, and he's going to be great again. I just, I don't like parking guys on the bench who are, who are you know, all-star caliber pitchers. Yeah. Well, I'm with you for what it's worth. Um, so it's frustrating, but I do think that Barrios is, you know, he has, like you said, that, that caliber to be maybe not a number one, but certainly a number two fantasy starter. And you just don't toss that <laughs> on waivers. Uh, right. Now, Charlie Morton, and I think I was a little bit minority on this one. I viewed Charlie Morton pretty similarly to Barrios coming into this year. Obviously, much more risk of age-related decline. And that's that's kind of an easy narrative right now because his peripherals and his surface stats don't really look nearly as good as we had all hoped uh, a month and a half ago. So he did have a, a good start, coming off a good start against the Brewers this past Sunday. But again, dig a level deeper. Still not getting batters to chase pitches out of the zone. Still giving up way too much contact on pitches that are in the zone. So he's got the Padres on on Saturday. If that does not go well, is Morton uh, is Morton droppable in twelve teamers? I think so. Um, actually, Salfino wrote a good piece. Uh, he went through a bunch of Statcast stuff. He's doing this every week now with the Statcast stuff. Kind of found his groove in there. Um, and Charlie Morton, he was talking about his curveball. And here's here's the quote. Um, his fastball is okay, but he's a curveball specialist who's lost the feeling for that pitch. There is no plan B. It's still a good pitch, but a guy who throws mostly curves need it to be needs it to be a great one. Last year, the horizontal break was 55% better than average, and this year it's 38% better. His ERA should be 5.41, about what it actually is through Tuesday. He's just a guy now. So, And then he compares him to Jamison Tyon and says he bet on Tyon for the balance of the year if you made me pick one. Um, I would too. There you go. Yeah, I would jump yeah. on board with that. Yeah. All right. Two more. Trevor Rogers. Uh, I try each week because uh, I've got him in one league and it's a 12 team or two. So uh, dropability is is a real thing with him <laughs> in in that uh, depth of a league. And so each week I go and, you know, look at the peripherals, try to find some reason to feel good about Trevor Rogers. And it's not there. I mean, what, what makes <laughs> me feel good about Trevor Rogers is looking at last year. And so up to this point, I've not been wanting to to cut ties because of that potential he showed in 2021. But how, how long do you wait? Uh, I mean, he's, he's not getting the strikeouts this year, which I mean, he's, you know, you could depend on that. And especially last year, he, you know, he's over 10 year before that in the short stint, he was over 12 this year. He's seven for Caper nine. Um, I don't know. Again, Al, I like, here's a weird one because I don't know how much name recognition Trevor Rogers really has. And I don't want to make this like the end all be all is that if I drop him, mm-hmm. will I lose him completely? But, um, you know, I guess it's who you're going to pick up. Again, I go back to Jamison Tyon. I'd rather have Tyon. Um, if I needed a closer, you know, like, I don't think Jorge Lopez is out there in big numbers, but if someone offered me that swap, you know, like, would you trade away Trevor Rogers for Jorge Lopez? I think I'd say yes. Um, yeah, I'm not high on him right now, but the FIP is 3.97. There's your silver lining, I guess. Yeah, um, and that's that's actually exactly where I was going to go because actually most of the estimators are not that forgiving. I mean, FIP is 3.1. Well, I'm looking at 3.98, Ando, so somebody's rounding the wrong way, I guess, uh, whichever site we're looking at. <laughs> but, oh, that was baseball reference. Okay, I'm, look, I'm a fan graphs guy. So, uh, but the, the XFIP and the Sierra are both in the mid to upper fours. Um, 
But the one thing, like I said, looking for something good in the profile, the one thing that um, he did last year and is still doing this year is he's not allowing home runs. He's not allowing barrels. So you're basically looking at somebody like, okay, if this is what we've got with Trevor Rogers, then maybe we've got somebody, and I'm trying to think of a, of a good um, comparison, and I, I'm just blanking at the moment, but you know, somebody you, you could trust like... Uh, Oh, geez, I just had had a, a comparison, then it just escaped me. But, you know, somebody who... Well, I can scroll down baseball references and see who the most similar pitchers were. You could... Okay. Um, you must be thinking of Lefty Wilson. <laughs> well, I was thinking of something a little <laughs> bit more contemporary. Dave Black? <laughs> but, you know, some somebody who's not going to really help you with strikeouts, but is streamable because they get a lot of soft contact and they'd be like your two-start streamer or your one-start with a good matchup streamer type. Um you know, maybe you could you could justify hanging on to Trevor Rogers and figuring, okay, this is the worst case scenario. That's what I'm going to get in the longer haul, and maybe I'll get last year's Trevor Rogers in the second half. Um, and, and if and if you know you're listening and you're thinking, well, this version of Trevor Rogers right now is giving me a five ERA. He is stranding only a, a, about uh, three fifths of his runners, so you figure there's some bad luck that is going to correct for him. And then when that washes out, then yeah, then you're maybe you're looking at a four ERA guy who with the right matchups is actually really useful. Right. This is weird. The similar pitchers for Rogers are Pete Wilson and Le- one, two, three, Dave Black, Pete Wilson and Lefty Wilson. What are the chances two Wilsons like that, Al? It seems like an Al-ism that you would appreciate. Uh, I do. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like there's, there's a lot of Wilsons, but you know, that, 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 that is pretty weird. I guess it'd be more interesting if his name was Trevor Wilson. But <laughs> we gotta we gotta finish the show. I'm sorry. By the way, the the pit one of the pitchers I thought of uh, when I was trying to think of a comp, but I was like, nah, that that you know that's not right. It's Kyle Gibson. But actually, because I thought Kyle Gibson had more strikeouts this year, but actually, their peripherals are pretty similar. Other than that's interesting. Other than the Babbitt rate. So there you go. There's your comp. Uh, all right. Well, I said there was one more pitcher, and that is Hunter Green. I think this is probably the in some ways the easiest call um, because there's not, I mean, there's strikeouts, but obviously way too many home runs. I was going to say, you know, that that's not really redeeming, but you know, I mean, this is one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And I just think that he could figure things out, you know, pretty much any time. And I just, I think of Tarek Skubal, you know, where last year he, went a very long time with giving up lots of home runs, but he had a period that I think was a month and a half or two months long where he was just as good as anybody. And I feel like Hunter green could have that stretch at some point this year. Yeah. If you, uh, if you weren't paying attention the last couple of weeks, you would think he's been awesome, but the home runs are killing him. And I don't know, man, like that. Someone tweeted something yesterday about the Cincinnati Reds starting lineup on the IL. I was searching for a Jose Barrero update. And I stumbled upon that. He made that all-star team, kind of. Um, it's, oh man, it's like, I don't know if it's, maybe it's a little disheartening for the guy too, you know? You're, you've you been through so much, you get there, you know, after being like out of it for a couple of years in the minors, and you just like, you come up to this Reds team that's just kind of tearing itself apart. And it's a small park. To, actually, his home road splits, he's worse on the road. But I'm sure <laughs> it doesn't help that, you know. No. It's just terrible, right? Yeah, I, I, I do wonder yeah. Yeah, if pitching in a park like that messes with you just period. But yeah, I, I, I'm i not going to drop Hunter Green. 
I guess, yeah, it's been for, I guess it's funny that for me, we've talked about five pitchers and Morton is the one that I actually feel the best about dropping. You should argue with Michael Salfino. You should have had Salfino on the show. <sighs> now you tell me. Maybe well, not. I didn't know. I mean, Maybe I didn't know it was week. an option. <laughs> it was yeah, definitely great. an option. I, I Yeah, well, yeah, that would be great. We'll, we'll do that. I think actually an Al Salfino show would be really good. Alfino. Alfino. Well, well, this is also an Alfino show. And I could also, I could be on there. I was going to say I could be on there too. <laughs> and Eno could be on it too. <laughs> That's... Imagine that Alf, Alfino show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nando, Nando DeFino, I think, I think we have, uh, I think we've run our course here. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we, uh, not enough puns for my liking, but I'm okay with that. All right, well, we'll save them up for another time. I think it has been a fabulous Nando Thursday. I am glad that uh, we had reason to do it. We get uh, Derek Van Riper back on Friday. So uh, all, all is good here, uh, I guess, unless you have Charlie Morton. Yeah, or unless you listen to Al and then Charlie Morton, you know, who knows? All right. Well, uh, Nando, thank you so much for hopping on. Hope we get to do this again soon. Uh, you can and should follow Nando. If you don't already, you should be following Nando. He is on Twitter at Nando Defino. I am on Twitter at Al Melchior BB. Uh, we also, we- you'll, you'll always be Al Melk CBS to me. Uh, yeah, that's not going to get you to my, get it, but my, my Twitter account's not that great. So maybe what maybe is that now as well? I don't know. Well, like when I, when I look at Nando CBS, it's like a, you know, like a spam account that's i think was trying to sell gold at one point oh that that so that wasn't your that's not what you did on the old account no no well i mean once in a while but i didn't think it would get that wild <laughs> i'm gonna check it live again al sorry you're trying to get out i'm <laughs> let me play you out by seeing what nando cbs is today right. well i can do that i will uh ask folks uh if, if you do have a moment to do so to rate and review the podcast on apple podcasts or spotify we always greatly appreciate it when you do that so again thanks so much for listening thank you nando and uh yeah I will be back again on Friday with DVR for our weekly waiver show, both on YouTube and uh, on your podcast app. So until then, everybody, take care.